Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. All right, Todd, listener question here. If you could force everybody to do something that would make their emotional or psychological lives better, what would it be? So if you had to pick something that you're pretty sure would improve people's lives from an emotional perspective, what would it be? Mm. This is quite the question. It, it really is. And, and, and I kind of thought of like individual things, like one thing, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the idea. If you had to pick one, one thing, thing, what would it be? What, what would give people the most bang for their buck? Okay, well, maybe I cheated a little then. Mm, typical. Yeah. Um, I think, though, what I, would, what I would want to instill in people is the idea to take advantage of opportunities, novel, challenging, exploration kind of type opportunities. Hmm. That would be my one piece of advice. Interesting. I was not expecting that. Yeah? At all. Huh. All right. It, elaborate. Tell me about it. Well, I think, you know, if you travel, try new activities, develop new skills, read, you know, try new self-care type. I mean, if you're just open to trying lots of things and developing skills, facing fears, I mean, if you're just really open to exploration, I think that in itself is a, is kind of the an umbrella way of, of, of going through therapy. I think that's in a nutshell what therapy is trying to do in a way is expand your understanding, expand your behavioral repertoire, improve your, improve yourself in some way. And so as I thought about this question, I was like, what one thing would I tell people? I tried to think of like what, what therapeutic kind of endeavor would would be most helpful to people and I I kind of just distilled it down to just doing new and kind of somewhat adventurous kind of things. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I don't I'm well, so my first thought is it's pretty broad. <laughs> <laughs> do new things. <laughs> and if that can incorporate um everything. But how do you know so my okay, so my uh pushback would be there's lots of new things that would be pretty poor for people's mental health, right? I mean, if you well, start yeah, I mean, trying don't lots do of drugs. destructive things, but, but I think the idea here is like, go, go do things, go travel, go pick up a skill and work at it. Take something you're not good at, get good at it. You know, um, if there's a cooking class, take it. If there's an opportunity for you to be in a volleyball team, you've never played, play it, see how it goes. You know, just try new things. It's it's the antidote to, I think, depression for sure. Okay, yeah. So connect this to why is trying new things so helpful for your... And we're talking about general mental health. Right. What's the connection between trying new things and, and mental health? Well, it'll it'll definitely stave off depression. I mean, you're this is like one of the best treatments for depression is what they call behavioral activation uh, engaging and rewarding and accomplishing things um, is, is a miracle kind of cure sometimes for depression most of the time um, 
this philosophy of exploration and trying new things would, would do that, would take care of that. Anxiety is, is a lot about being trapped by fear. And if you're constantly engaging things and exploring things that my thought is you would probably learn more and more about yourself, more and more about the environment, more and more about how you handle certain situations. I think a lot of times I see people who are very kind of stuck in a, in a situation that they just repeat over and over and over and over again. And so my thought was encouraging people to explore, travel, do new things, develop new skills would kind of constantly be feeding your mind, developing who you are, exposing you to new situations, developing um, ideas, new ideas. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I know it's broad. No, but I would... That's interesting. It may, a, a few years ago, there I remember very briefly seeing, um, I think it was a former director of the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, um, which is kind of like if you if you are in the mental health profession, that's like pretty high up. There aren't many like positions that are as prestigious or influential as the the head of the NIH. Right. Uh, it's like the you know. Anyway, um, I think he had retired, but he he wrote a book. I th- I, I'm, someone's going to fact check me on this, but <laughs> it gets at the, the general point. But he, I think he wrote a book called Stuck. And what he was, his kind of point was that a very common, strong feature of nearly every kind of mental health condition or pathology, ranging from depression to anxiety to PTSD to e- even, I think he argued, like schizophrenia and, um, and, yeah, all, all sorts of different types of disorders. He was saying stuckness, like rigidity, was a common trait among all of those. So people who are struggle with anxiety, they often get stuck in worry. These like patterns of worry, 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 worry. It's really hard to pull out of. People in depression, they get stuck in sort of either behavioral, like isolation, right? They just don't do any. They kind of just hunker down. Or they're very ruminative in the way they think. They go over and over and over and over again about how much they failed or how screwed they are or whatever. Um, the perseveration is the you know the technical term for this. Um, but so your idea is making me think if that is true, if a common denominator among all mental health problems is rigidity or stuckness, trying the same thing over and over again, which is, it's not a clinical term, but it's the legal term of insanity is people colloquially say insanity, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again. That doesn't work and expecting to get different outcomes. Right. Right. Um, so I don't know. You're making me think here. Maybe there is something to that. So if that is the, the common denominator, maybe the antidote is novelty and flexibility. Well, I think, I mean, if I know, I know with my, my clients who struggle with depression, behavior activation is an, is an amazing treatment for them. It really is. Just do things that are fun and that give you a sense of accomplishment and meaning. It's a really great antidote. I'm part of the problem with depression is this withdrawal symptom. I mean, people with depression kind of typically withdraw from a lot of things, you know. And if you're not doing that, if you're not withdrawing, you're protecting yourself against that. With anxiety, it's the same way. You're constantly encouraging clients to face fears, to learn um, kind of behaviorally experiencing new things and wrestling with new ideas. And um, I know in my life, you know, when I face certain challenges or struggles or when I I suffer from grief or loss or disappointment, 
uh, I'm offing my my cure usually is I'm going to try something new. I want to I want to take this class or I'm going to do this thing, and it, it's such a great kind of antidote to keep you moving, keep your ideas and 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 your mind expanding, and just give you a sense of uh, increase your your own self efficacy, sense of self. It's a great. I, I think this is you know this is one one thing I encourage my kids to do a lot. Try it, check it out, go do it, see what it's like. You know, I think if you're, I think that stagnant stuck period is a real problem for a lot of people. And if you're constantly kind of moving and, and, uh, exploring, it's going to be harder, I think, to develop some of those problems. That's my thought anyway. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't want to encourage someone to, to do something harmful, but I I think it's a good idea to kind of keep moving keep going yeah it makes me think of an idea i've been playing around with lately is in um in the world of like finance and wealth management and investing and stuff like that a very common thing that you hear is um you should diversify your wealth or your portfolio you know your assets wherever your wealth is you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket you know if you if you if you put all your retirement into facebook because Facebook is growing like crazy and you want to make a ton of money. You could. Facebook could, t- could continue to grow like crazy and you could make a ton of money off of that. But if Facebook, if something happens, if they tank, all your money goes down the drain, right? right. Super obvious. Yeah. Um, so the idea is you diversify. Your, you put some money in stocks. You put some money in you know, lots of different types of stocks, maybe U.S. stocks, maybe international. You buy some real estate. You get some bonds. You, you know do all sorts of things so that any one of those can kind of fall apart and you're not going to be destitute, right? It leads to, that diversity leads to a lot of resilience actually, financially. And I think the same thing is kind of true. You can apply the same metaphor to our identity and sense of self, right? If your entire identity is wrapped up in your job as an attorney, right? And all your friends are like work buddies and all your sense of, achievement and satisfaction comes from winning big trials and well what happens if you you know once you retire or you can't you know you get fired or where's your sense of self where is all the income to who you are like and so it makes sense to kind of diversify your identity right and and that is a direct result of trying lots of new things i think oh I, that's i couldn't have put it better I, there's there's social support research that says um, you know, the more outlets or, or sources of social support you have, the better you're protected you are. Because when one's threatened, you still have a lot to kind of help you out. And and I think it's very true. I get a lot of people who are going through life transitions who are really struggling with depression or anxiety, let's say. And it's because of this very reason. It's They've dedicated so much time to one thing for so long. And when that one thing is kind of not in great shape, they're falling apart. Their sense of their their whole identity is wrapped up in that thing. You know, and Mark Twain had a, a quote, and I'm going to butcher it right here, but um, he talked about how one of the cures for racism and intolerance was traveling, like visiting new places. I mean, it, it's just a mind-expanding, thought-expanding activity. And, I, I, I mean, not only for just social kind of survival reasons, but, um, yeah, exploring is a, it's super stimulating super rewarding kind of activity to go somewhere new do something you've never done it's just 
to me, it's just totally growth related. Not that there won't be challenges, but um, yeah, I guess my, I guess this piece of advice is more like if you want to continue growing and improving yourself, which is, I think, a common goal of therapy, try, try new things a lot. Yeah, well, that's another way in which it's a good advice is that it not only will it help you uh, grow and sort of strengthen who you are, but it, it's also very uh, buffering against um, problems. Against so stress and distress, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's cool. Um, awesome, that's a good one, man. Got you me know, thinking, yeah. I have my moments. <laughs> All right, so mine is... Um, along some very different lines, I think. Um, or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe they'll converge if we talk enough about it. But <laughs> <laughs> If we talk long enough, we can relate any two topics. Okay, so this would be the thing I would um, force people to do for better mental health <laughs> that, would, uh, that I think would cut across all sorts of different problems, all sorts of different people, all sorts of different situations. If you did this, I think you would be much better off. And that is validate your emotions okay what do you mean by validate it's a good question I should probably explain myself <laughs> um so validating your emotions is actually it sounds complicated but it's very simple it's just when you have an emotion you notice it maybe you kind of label it and then you just you just acknowledge it you don't necessarily do anything which seems almost stupidly obvious how do you, how do you not validate an emotion though? Don't most people kind of understand what emotion they're experiencing? And um, label it. No, they don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't think most people do. I th- I think what's more common is we we feel something on a very quick rough level. We feel bad, and then we immediately try and feel less bad. So we do something to either try and make that bad feeling go away. Or we try and essentially run away from it, try and distract ourselves from it or kind of numb out from it. And it's that move, the running away from, altering, reducing. Mm -hmm. So the problem with that is in the short term, it feels really good. You know, if you're, um, I don't know, if you're really worried about an upcoming exam you have and you think, oh my gosh, if I fail this exam, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to get into college and then I'm not going to, you know, get the career I want and my life's going to be ruined and blah, 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 right? That, the fear that comes up there, right, is in order to make that fear go down, you can distract yourself by playing video games or going in like, I don't know, watching football or having, having a conversation, calling up your friend and chit-chatting about whatever. And that, what that does in the short term is it makes you feel a lot less afraid because you're distracting yourself. But of course, in the long run, super unhelpful, right? Because you now you don't have as much time to study, and you are actually more likely to fail your exam. And you know, doesn't address the problem. Doesn't all. address the problem. We're so concerned with changing how we feel, right, that we end up doing things that actually cause more problems in the long run. So that's that's problematic. But the more problematic thing I think is that when you get in the habit of either immediately trying to make your emotions go away or to distract yourself from them, what you're really doing is you are, you're training your own brain to think that your emotions are bad or dangerous. So when you, anytime you have a negative emotion, if you instantly try and get rid of it or run away from it, you're essentially, you're treating it like a problem or a threat. 
Right. Right. And if you keep doing that, your brain is going to start to think feeling badly is dangerous, is a bad thing. And one, I think a common um, phenomena across all sorts of different mental health issues from depression and anxiety to eating disorders to PTSD is the understandable but um, really dangerous mistake of conflating feeling badly with being bad. So something like fear, right? It feels really bad to feel afraid. Nobody likes that feeling. It's aversive. Yeah, it's aversive, right? right. But that doesn't necessarily mean it is bad, that it's da- that the feeling itself is dangerous. Right. Right, but because it feels bad, we very easily assume that it's dangerous. And you really reinforce that belief if every time you feel bad, you try and make it go away or you run away from it. And try to escape it. Yeah. yeah. And what happens is in the short term, you feel better, but you start to create a lot of problems for yourself when you're constantly um, reacting to your emotions, trying to make them go away or trying to distract from them. Sure. Right. Like the procrastinating on studying for your exam. Mm-hmm. Right. Not being willing to, to just kind of feel that fear is actually ends up resulting in you doing poorly on your exam. Yeah, this is, I, I agree that this is such a universal problem in a lot of disorders. Um, for example, I had, I had a client years ago who um, in college developed quite a drinking problem, but it developed after he realized that he could get rid of a lot of anxiety after a couple beers. And um, especially as it related to women. Right when he was around women, oh. he would drink because he was anxious. Because he was anxious, he'd get in a relationship, go on a date, he'd be nervous, he'd drink, mm-hmm. um, which it all worked beautifully, <laughs> you know, for a while until it didn't. Until you know, issues with alcohol can go sideways fast, and pretty soon he's instead of enjoying relationships, which is what he always kind of wanted, the alcoholism is just ruining everything. So it's this avoidant maneuver that ends up creating more problems than it solves. And I might imagine that even despite the alcoholism, his actual anxiety of being around women probably didn't get better. And if anything, I imagine it was just as bad as soon as he wasn't drinking alcohol. Yeah. I mean, next thing you know, you find out you kind of uh, turn around and you're married and you have a couple of kids that are all demanding intimacy and close emotional connection. And it just perpetuated this idea that he had to keep drinking. Right. Yeah. So I think what you see in a lot of uh, significant emotional problems is an intolerance of emotion itself. And so what would so, you have this client do as in, you know, what, what would you rather have him? About? So very simple, like super simple exercise. When you, you walk into a bar and you see an attractive woman across, you know, across the way right. and you want to go up and, you know, chat with her. Right. You think about that and then instantly you start to feel, you feel bad. And that's probably how he's going to think about it in his mind, right? Super anxious, but bad. He yeah. bad. Yeah. Step one, what do you actually, think of very basic emotions. Like if you asked a eight-year-old what an emotion is, what are they going to say? Sad, angry. Nervous. Nervous, like afraid. Label it. How are you feeling? Okay, I'm feeling afraid. Be really plain with how you're not, I'm, you know, I'm stressed or I'm upset or I'm, but just, no, I am afraid. Acknowledge it, what it is. And then set a little timer on your phone for like 30 seconds. And don't do anything except just feel the feeling of being afraid. 
just focus on feeling afraid and see what happens after 30 seconds. Okay. Does that fear do anything to you? Does it like harm you at all? What happens if you just let yourself be afraid? Just feel afraid. Yeah, just feel it just feels bad. So they so you would do it. Okay, I can do, it doesn't feel good, but I can do that for 30 seconds, right? You do that for a while. Next time, do it for a minute. See mm-hmm. what happens. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take very long before you start to realize, oh, the, these painful emotions, they don't actually last that long if you don't do anything to them. Emotions, by their very nature, they come and they go as long as we don't start trying to manipulate them. That's what tends to make them What if he increases around. his tolerance for five minutes, but he still is nervous when he approaches women? He gets to five minutes mm-hmm. and he... Still feels nervous. Yeah. That, so that would be the thing. I, I would continue to keep doing it, keep, see how long you can go. But then another, another validating thing you can do is, okay, I'm having some fear. What happens if I just did something anyway, even while I'm feeling afraid? I'm, I'm validating the idea that I'm, af- that I'm afraid and this doesn't feel good. But I know that it's not dangerous and I can still do other stuff despite feeling that way. Yeah, and I think that's such an important part of validating an emotion is kind of carrying it with you and doing anyway, Yeah, right? Because that's the ultimate you're saying. It's not dangerous, right? right? I don't like it, but it's yeah. not going to harm me at all. It's kind of the ultimate validation to say, I mean, because he could develop the theory of like, well, I, I can't feel nervous and do this. So I'm just going to have to wait mm-hmm. here forever. Until my nervousness goes down. That's probably not going to happen. But to, to the ultimate validation, I think, is to keep moving and be nervous. Yeah, I think both happen. Sometimes emotions are kind of fleeting and they, sure, you just kind of wait them out. You acknowledge them and just kind of be willing to be there with them. And they, they do tend to fade. But oftentimes, like you're saying, they're prolonged. In what, or maybe they're just so entrenched, such a habitual response that it's more helpful to learn to just do stuff anyway, even though you don't feel particularly good. But to make, and, and here, here we go, This I think this comes back around to your first point. Instead of making your emotions the object of your life and what you want to do, m- make your life the object. <laughs> right. You know, right. like you're, you want to go talk to this cute girl, go talk to the cute girl. Don't make your life about how you feel. Make it about what you want to do. Yeah, which does come back to my my idea that, you know, in in traveling and trying new things, you're always going to be confronting these emotions of anxiety, you know, nervousness, um, and because these are all novel things, and, and it's so normal to approach something you've never done and kind of be nervous right. about it, right? And when you're traveling and trying new things, maybe that's the connection. It sort of forces you to validate how you feel. You know, like when when you're when you don't speak the language and you're trying to catch a train, like. You, you don't have the option of like, you know, retreating back to your house and not doing this. Like you got to, you're there, you got to do it. Yeah. You got to be uncomfortable and just make it happen. Um, so, but I, I think it's no matter what the someone's issue in, in when it comes to mental health, if you dig enough, there's often an intolerance of emotion. There's this idea that because I feel badly, I have to do something to not feel badly anymore. And the, I think the antidote to that is to practice validating your emotions, which means speaking plainly about them. This is what it is. I'm afraid and acknowledging that learning. You can tolerate it. Like I can just be afraid without doing anything. And then also, as you're saying, learning, you can do other things while you're afraid or sad or angry or guilty or whatever it is. And life goes on. Right. 
it doesn't have to impede that activity. And it may be there during the activity, but it but if the choice is being able to participate in the activity or not, I would say, man, it's probably worth it to go ahead and do that. And and usually what you find is after you've done something once or twice, you get better and better at doing that thing. Um, the other part that I like what you said about it was not only, um, you know, learning to operate with this emotion and tolerate it better, but don't conflate it with some kind of moral judgment about this is bad or I'm bad because I'm feeling this way, you know? I mean, to really validate an emotion is, is just kind of accepting that it is what it is, and that's all, you know? It's, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean anything. It's not going to hurt you. Right. <laughs> right. That's a good one. I like it. Cool. I think I think if we could make people do things, <laughs> we would <laughs> we would we would just have such a more smooth running world, Nick. If all you know, yeah, it'd be nice to make other people do things. I just wish I could make myself do these things. <laughs> <laughs> that might be even harder. <laughs> hey everyone, Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks.